Welcome to the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is to strengthen and equip church and ministry leaders just like you through practical and theological discussions about some of the most pressing and important issues facing the local church today. We feature conversations with members of our team here at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, as well as interviews with authors and thinkers from around the world. You can follow The Essential.Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Watch episodes on our YouTube channel and also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and Spotify, where you'll find a full archive of previous conversations. And now, here is this week's episode of The Essential Church Podcast. Welcome to this episode of The Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, and I want to take you to an episode that we recorded recently with Pastor Brady and Pastor Glenn and Pastor Daniel on the issue of, wait for it, church discipline. We're now living in the era of the church growth movement, where so much emphasis has been on just getting butts in the seats and growing the church as fast as you can, and one of the casualties of that movement has been a sense of the integrity of the church, the discipline of the church, and we had a great 20-minute conversation on that specific topic, and I can't wait for you to enjoy it. Without further ado, here's the conversation. All right, guys, good to see you all. We're coming off of a really great Essential Church Learning community last week, and uh, we had about 40 or 50 pastors in the room, and Brady, that first night, Tuesday night, you just gave a wonderful talk on some of the challenges that are facing pastors right now, and talking to them about discouragement and getting distracted and the Spirit of Jesus was in the room. It was just a beautiful time together. One of the things that you said, I think, that caught all of our attention was you made a comment about church discipline as it relates to church health. And I think, I don't think anybody in the room was expecting in right. a room like that, that we were going to start talking about church discipline all of a sudden. And you made, um, you tied it into something that you'd been reading in Bonhoeffer recently. And so I want to just quote Bonhoeffer here. And then I want to climb inside your mind for a few minutes and just ask you what you were thinking and what was stirred up in you. So or if I was said, even thinking. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so Bonhoeffer said this. This comes from The Cost of Discipleship, which a lot of us have read. Uh, but he said, The cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Baptism without church discipline. That was the thing that stirred you up. So talk to us about what was going on in that moment. Well, I was trying to remember when the last time anyone had brought up church discipline at a pastor's conference. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's probably been 20 years since mm -hmm. anyone has dared bring that topic up. Mm -hmm. And it made me think about our own homes. Like I, I have children who are now 19 and 21, and I can't imagine them being 19 and 21, yeah. what kind of human beings they would be if they had lived in my home without any kind of rules, without any kind of boundaries, without any yeah. kind of safeguards, yep. and, in, and in some cases without discipline. Mm -hmm. So what can you, any of us imagine uh, what our children would look like if we had not raised them in an environment without mm -hmm. some type of, of discipline? So I was saying to the pastors when we gathered, it, it, do not be surprised if your church is full of spoiled brats if you've not had church discipline mm -hmm. in your church. If there's been no discipline, no correction, no rules, no boundaries, then you're, we're, we're getting what we have created. Yeah. We are now experiencing, we're paying the price for not bringing up this mm -hmm. topic. Yeah. And I thought Bonhoeffer, by the way, who paid a, a, a very steep price for his beliefs. I mean, just a few days before World War II was over, he was marched out and executed yeah. while being engaged. He was uh, he had just become engaged, was sent to mm -hmm. prison, mm -hmm. but 
uh, I think Bonhoeffer's, uh, you know, his quote just it did something in my heart. It reminded me of when I was 30 years old. Mm-hmm. I was a senior pastor of a little church in Hereford, Texas. I mean, I was green. I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I did know that there was a guy in my church who was constantly causing us trouble. Mm-hmm. And the newly formed elders who were surrounding me at that time came to me and said, Brady, we need to deal with him. And one of the elders quoted Titus 3, uh, verse 10. It says, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. And then it gets very sobering. Hmm. After that, have nothing to do with them. Hmm. So my elder read that to us and said, we have to address this guy. We've warned him once. We've warned him twice to not be divisive. And he was doing some really serious things in the church. So I remember us calling him together. We called this man into our elders meeting, and he had been a member of the church longer than I'd been alive. And here I am, a 30-year-old senior pastor, having to look this guy who's twice my age. I had to look him in the eye and say, we've warned you once, we've warned you twice. You won't, you will not submit to the elders. You're continuing to cause disruptions, and we're asking you to not no longer attend church here. Yeah. And it was. It, I went home that night troubled and wondering if I'd gotten it all right. I went home that night just deeply saddened. But when I when I showed back up on Sunday, something powerful had happened in the spiritual mm. atmosphere mm. of the church. I'll never forget it. I can I can almost see myself right there in that setting again. Mm-hmm. How clear the air felt. How yeah. powerful mm-hmm. that service was. Mm-hmm. And our elders and I met after the service and said, "This is the result." As a, of us choosing integrity, right. yes, we we re, it's like we regained the yep. ethos, the integrity of our congregation, and our congregation began to grow, and yeah. it began to be, and there's just a, a sense of health that came back to it, and I was so grateful that we took those necessary steps. Brady, so that, in the meeting, you talked about the last forty years of the church. We've talked about church growth, but we haven't talked about church health. Mm-hmm. And your your moment in that room that night, you said, I would rather focus on church health. And like you said in this story, the church grew after that. Mm-hmm. But we've spent so much time in this consumer yeah. culture. And the, you know, why does it seem like churches have neglected church yeah. discipline? Because we live in this consumer culture that says, you know, the customer is always right. Right. Yeah. We we brought that into the church where there are, you know, they're paying our salary, they're they're giving their tithes. Right. And I actually remember one time calling a guy to lunch who needed to be corrected, and I was going to—I started going in on him. I was gracious, but I put it on the table in the conversation, and he said, don't you know that I'm a tithing member? Which was his way of saying, "Back off, you can't man. say that that's to me right, because right. I pay your salary. And I said, well, you can stop tithing, but I can, t- I can tell you what you're doing is leading to death, right? and we're going to talk about that And today. also his logic <laughs> is all wrong. I'm a tithing member. Therefore, if you're a member of the body of Christ, you are at least potentially a subject of church discipline if you're part of the body, if this is the body's way of maintaining integrity within itself. Well, let's not be surprised if we uh, treat our people like customers, they'll start acting like customers. They're not customers. Mm -hmm. These people have been called to our church, and we have a holy and sacred responsibility to create a healthy environment so they can thrive. So this is not about being the moral police in our church. I I don't have time. I don't have the energy to walk around and manage everyone's life. What I do have is a sacred responsibility to make sure that the atmosphere inside our congregation is as as holy as we can Mm -hmm. make it with human effort. And we're trusting the Holy Spirit to finish that work. But it does require our participation. We have to make 
make the effort right. to raise the standards, raise the bar of behavior yeah. not in our personal life first, but also in the corporate life yep. of our people. Can we talk for a second? Let's just so that be, I think when people hear church discipline, I think there's a lot of associations that <laughs> yeah, come to mind. Their yeah. minds run away. Now they're going, wait, New Life Church is like a rabid church discipline <laughs> church. No, oh, way. Hey, no, that's no. not what we're saying. So I'd like for us to try to work with definitions here for a second. Yep. What do we mean when we say church discipline? And are we limiting it just to discrete moments where we have to remove somebody from the fellowship? bring somebody into a pastor's office. What are we talking about here when we say church discipline? I, I think two of the, the lenses that we can use when we think about this is, is it threatening the unity of the church? That's good. And is it threatening the witness of the church? I, I think in Paul's letters, when he addresses things, he's addressing things that are, you, you referenced one of them, Brady, you know, uh, it's divisive. It's it's tearing apart the unity of the church. False teachers, this is one of the reasons Paul cared about false teachers. Look, they were a myriad of different teachers saying different things that Paul never bothered to address until it came into the church. That's right. Mm -hmm. Once it came into the church, he said, okay, hang on, we can't have this. We can't mm -hmm. have splitting divisions and mm -hmm. camps here. And then so unity. And then the other issue is, is witness. And so holiness is always, you know, it's always the call of the Christians. But like you said, we're not going to run around being the moral police and saying, I heard that you fudged on your taxes and I heard, you know, that that's not what this is about. But when the the holiness or the lack of holiness now puts our witness at stake, Good. now we have an issue that we have right. to address. Mm -hmm. And it, I want to read this scripture out of Galatians, because I think this helps set the tone mm -hmm. for what we're trying to do, the attitude behind it. It says, brothers and sisters, this is Galatians 6.1, if someone is caught in a sin, yeah. you who live by the Spirit should restore mm -hmm. that person gently. gently. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, and then he says, I love this next passage, but watch yourselves, yeah. or you may also be tempted. Yeah. So First of all, we can't ever correct someone if we have not corrected ourselves. Yeah. So this, and it's highly relational and highly gentle. Yes. Everything the Spirit does. Think about how the Holy Spirit convicts us individually. Yeah, He doesn't come with a hammer. Right. Huh. He comes. He comes like a dove. He comes and sits on our in our hearts and says, "Listen, there's a better way. Yeah. I have a way that's going to lead to life. Yes. Now, I'm going to show you a path." That leads to life, yeah. and but the path you're choosing is going to take you to yeah. death. Yeah. And it's like a gentle father yeah. uh, correcting their son with gentleness, with mm. holiness. So we're not talking about uh, coming in with a glove, with an iron fist, yeah, and yeah, pounding yeah. people right. into submission and demanding righteous behavior. We're talking about loving one another yes. enough yes. to keep them from going off the cliff. We've, we've forgotten that as pastors, one of our responsibilities is it's the care of people's care. souls. Mm. We're physicians of the people's souls. souls, the cure of souls. So this is Cyprian of Carthage in the third century. He was wrestling with this a lot. They had a lot of folks in the third century that because of persecution had wandered away from the church. It was state-sponsored. The state was basically saying, you need to sacrifice to the Roman gods mm -hmm. or we're going to kill you. And a lot of Christians did. And then they got welcomed too easily back into the church, in Cyprian's opinion. And so one of the things that he says is that the role of the shepherd is not just to protect the integrity of the church, but to your point, it's also to protect the integrity of the person's soul yeah. who has fallen yeah. into sin. So if you just bandage the wound too lightly, mm -hmm. it doesn't help them. And he says this, I think this quote is great. He says, it is an unskilled doctor mm -hmm. who examines the swelling in a patient with a hand that acts sparingly. He only increases the infection that's shut up within the deep recesses of the organs mm -hmm. while he's trying to preserve them. 
the wound requires opening up and being operated on and receiving treatment with a far stronger remedy mm -hmm. that involves the excision of, well, then he uses the word putrefactions, which yeah, we love yeah. putrefactions. <laughs> Since they make you puke. He yeah. it. But he says this, although his sick patient lacking endurance in his pain initially screams and cries out and complains, yeah. Yeah. he afterwards mm -hmm. give th gives thanks when he will experience his health mm -hmm. restored. Yes. So not just about the church, but it's also about the, the person, person. Yeah. and taking the thing that they've fallen into seriously yeah, enough yeah. to help them dig it out and to restore them to and a place And this comes of straight from the ministry of Jesus. Like, yeah. okay, if Jesus is our guy, mm -hmm. if we're watching him, yeah. then we will read the Gospels and see him say to one of his best friends, get thee behind me, Satan. Yes. Mm -hmm. You are. You have in mind the things of man, not the, not things, the things of God. Of, right. He doesn't do that because he hates Peter. He does that because he loves Peter. Yes. And Jesus, in his ministry, he he commissions us to be his witnesses, and he tells us to go drive out demons. Mm -hmm. yeah. So go out into the world and lay hands on people, and you'll see them recover, mm -hmm. and look people in the eye, and when they're doing something that is leading to death, mm -hmm. drive it out of them. Mm -hmm. And so this is a part of the ministry of Jesus and Psalm 23, our great psalm that P pagans have memorized. The mm -hmm. Lord is our shepherd, right? <laughs> yeah. And he's got a rod and, and a staff. A staff, yeah. a staff yeah. is is yeah. gentleness. A staff is, I'm going to lead the flock. And, okay. But a rod yeah. is, something is here as a threat. It's going to mm -hmm. destroy your life. And when it comes, I will strike it down. And mm -hmm. and the shepherd does that because yes. he loves the sheep. Yes. So for the shepherds, many shepherds in God's flock, mm -hmm. this ought to be a part of our bag. Well, So let's add a third word. We said the unity of the church is being threatened, the witness, witness. of the church. Then the third one, what you're saying is basically the holiness of the individual, yes. the, the health, the of health, the, the health mm. of the, the wholeness which, of the individual. Which that root, the root word for holy, comes from hail, hearty, healthy. It's all yes. part of the same thing. Yes. To be holy is to be healthy. Yep. Which, which, and if we don't pay attention to that, and people, we're doing them a disservice. Which means, at its core, discipline is a ministry of healing. Yes. if it's done well, right. Yes. But if and and maybe you know the question of why do we move away from this? Right. Yes, the church growth thing. We just want numbers and all that. But maybe there's also been the opposite kind of overreaction or overcorrection totally. that says command and control. Yeah. So we're going to be heavy-handed, the iron fist thing, or we're going to control. Tell me about your finances. Tell mm -hmm. me about you. Know. And and this is where we want neither extreme. Right. Mm -hmm. We want church discipline to be a ministry of healing. Yes. yes. And that's why I was asking the question: Can we work with the definition here? Well, we're not just talking about discrete moments of calling somebody into the mm -hmm. pastor's office, but is there a broader way to think about church discipline? Mm -hmm. And I think there must be. And if the analogy is the family, mm -hmm. we don't just discipline our children when there are discrete moments where somebody's stepping out of line, but actually, it's an atmosphere. Fear yes. of order and training. So, Brady, I'd like for you to talk about just for a second here how you think about your role as the pastor of this church as a role in which you're keeping order and discipline, not just discrete moments, but an atmosphere of it. Well, what we want is our congregation to take ownership of this. And this yeah. is the Matthew yeah. model of confrontation. So if your brother has sinned, go to your brother mm -hmm. and confront them. If he won't listen to you, then take another person yeah. along. Yeah. And it's not until step three that the that church the really gets involved. Yeah. Yeah. So my goal at New Life Church is for us to live alongside one another as brothers and sisters, and that for most of the, I would say 98% of the correction should happen mm -hmm. in relationships mm -hmm. that have person already been formed and forged. Yeah. So yeah. the only time I would ever get involved in something is when two friends have come to an impasse where 
something has become so egregious yes. that the mm. friendship and the relationships inside the small groups or inside relationships can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And now the elders, which we yeah. I'm an elder here, mm-hmm. and Glenn and Daniel are both elders at New Life, and so we have a holy responsibility at some point to step in and to yeah. mediate, yeah. mediate. Yeah. and mm-hmm. to uh, to act as uh, arbitrators, you know, in some ways, uh, be mm-hmm. to to give wisdom and counsel, mm-hmm. uh, and that happens rarely. Mm-hmm. So I would say that most of this is at the grassroots level. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so for pastors that are listening to this saying, I'm managing COVID, I just yeah. come, I'm trying to manage racial unrest in my city, I'm trying to manage lost finances because of the economy, now you're adding church discipline to me. Yeah. That's yeah, not what we're, we're not trying to add to the burdens yeah. of pastors. Right. We're trying mm-hmm. to clarify that this is important and that you sh- we should talk about it out of the yeah. pulpit mm-hmm. and empower our yeah. people yeah. to live such Very holy good. lives among themselves. Yes. Yes. Very good. It actually doesn't become necessary for me to get involved. Th- the body heals its own wounds. Right. And I think, Brady, with our staff mm-hmm. culture, you regularly, a couple times a year, will sit down with our entire staff and talk about our staff values. Because mm-hmm. the staff really yeah. is the smallest yeah. concentric circle within the church. Yeah. And if we can practice this with each other as brothers and sisters, and we can quickly forgive, and we can name stuff, and 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 put it all on the table, then we can actually have the hope of having a congregation that will do mm-hmm. this. So talk to us about your values that you put in front of the staff regularly. Well, first of all, I agree that no matter what size your church is, you have a core group of leaders that are helping you lead, whether they're Mm -hmm. volunteers, whether they're staff, or whether they're a combination of those two things. And I believe that what happens in your core... Like it, like it. Think about the engine of your car. Yeah. I don't care how shiny yeah. the outside of your car is. I don't care how good the tires are. I don't care how plush the interior space is. If your engine is broke, it is useless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're not putting good oil and gas in your yeah. car, it's not going to run. And I, so I see church discipline mm-hmm. as those internal working parts that no one sees That's necessarily, right. Mm-hmm. That's right. but everyone benefits from yep. it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when that engine is working, that car is healthy. fun yep. to drive. Yep. And that, this is the way I see church. And so I think oftentimes, uh, it, I'll, tell, I'll tell you, this is going to sound a little strong, but this is right out of the Bible, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's Bible strong sometimes. First <laughs> Timothy 5, I read this this morning, and it was a sobering reminder of mm-hmm. why churches don't emphasize this. He says, but those elders who are sinning, uh, mm-hmm. you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. Yeah. I believe the reason most church leaders don't want to get involved in church discipline is they know that the first person that will be judged most severely is the leaders. And most leaders don't want this scrutiny. Most leaders don't want that Mm. those set of eyes on them. So the best way for me to avoid those eyes being looking inside my life is just to ignore this topic altogether. That's what Timothy is saying here. It's true, and it it brings up kind of a couple practical dimensions of this. One is a leader's sin is different than a member's sin. Yes. And they must be treated differently. And we, we had, obviously, everyone knows the new life story here, but 14 years ago, we had some well-meaning church members say, well, why couldn't we just forgive and deal with this? But a leader's sin is different, and the, and the New Testament models that mm-hmm. because a leader is leading based on the trust of the people. So when right. a leader sins, they've violated trust. Right. They can no longer operate in that position. Mm-hmm. If the violation of trust is that severe, then mm-hmm. the, the, it warrants a removal from leadership. Mm-hmm. But secondly, you mentioned the staff thing. I mean, Brady, when you mentioned Matthew 18, you pointed out, uh, friends, we want congregants to work Matthew 18 with one another. In a staff, it's complicated because there's a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. So anytime there's a power differential, now we're not exactly dealing with Matthew 18. Now we're dealing mm-hmm. with a, a leader correcting the person that they're mm-hmm. that is reporting to the them. The playing field is not level. It's not level. Mm-hmm. So 
So again, their church discipline, it, it's a that's a broad banner for a number of different things. How do you discipline leaders? Yeah. How do you discipline an employee or a staff member? And then how do two members work out a disagreement with one another? Mm-hmm. Those are three different dimensions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do think, though, that uh, there has to be a culture of honesty. Yes. There has to be yeah. a culture. Yes. Uh, I believe the bottom line is if you hide, you're in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we start hiding from one another, we stop becoming the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so much uh, masking right now. There's mm-hmm. so much hiddenness right now. Uh, we live in our uh, a, a siloed, solo culture. Mm-hmm. We live uh, We live in our a cocoon. We live in a bubble of people who agree with us. Mm-hmm. And this is what I think concerns me about the local church right now, that we have mm-hmm. lost our sense of shared community. Mm-hmm. And, but we can't be a, a, have a shared community if we don't have shared values, mm-hmm. if we don't have shared uh, accountability, shared convictions. Mm-hmm. And if we can't look at each other in the eye and be honest, then we're no longer the church. That's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. That's it. You talked about how do we do this without becoming mm-hmm. cultish, mm-hmm. without being this shepherding, heavy. over heavy-handed yep. thing. I there was years ago a guy in the church who I'd walked with and you know been in living rooms with and hospital rooms with. Like we had major mm-hmm. mileage that we'd built up together, and then I watched him just disappear. You know, as pastors, as leaders, you see when someone hadn't been there for six weeks, they hadn't been mm-hmm. there for two months, and you start going, "What's going on there?" So I reached out. Had I done anything? Have I offended you? No. He's just not there, and then I discover what's going on with his life. He's living a he's mm-hmm. living a profligate life in sin, and he's just left church because to be in church is to feel constant conviction. Mm. So he's ignoring me. So I finally pull up his home address and I write him this letter, and I said to him in in one paragraph, I said, "The other main reason why I've not been able to stop thinking about you, I told him because you weren't here. First reason, but the other reason." is because it seems as if you've chosen to break covenant with the Lord. Mm -hmm. You've chosen to willfully walk away from Him. Mm -hmm. While not seeing you certainly makes me sad, the thought of you having possibly decided to walk away from obedient responsiveness to God scares me even more. Mm -hmm. And here's why. Because breaking covenant with God ends up breaking human beings. That's it. That's it. So That's I wrote it. him this letter, and I yeah. said, I'm not writing this to you because I need church attendance to go up. No. I don't need, I don't care about any, I care about you. Yeah. And I know that breaking covenant with the Lord, I've just watched it my whole life, ends up breaking the human being. So you're going in a way of destruction. Stop. I love you. And so he got this letter, and I'm happy to report that was about seven years ago that I sent that. He's here every week with his little oh, family. Story, He's amazing. thriving. And, and he comes back to that moment every, every year or so. He'll go, that letter changed the game. So you, if you love people, That's it. cast out the demon. Say it. Yeah, Name yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah, tell, yeah. Them, tell them. I'm not reaching out to you because I need you. I'm reaching out to you because I love you, I love you. and you're going in a way of destruction. The health of the church is the hope of the community that that church is in. Yeah. So if the local church can't love one another well, be, tell the truth That's to it. one another, call one another to health and wholeness, how are we going to be the vehicle through which healing and hope arrives to the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the bishop, the leader of the church in Carthage before Cyprian is Tertullian, mm-hmm. and Tertullian said the pagans would say to the Christians, or say about the Christians, look how they love one another. Yes. Mm-hmm. Look how they love one another. Mm-hmm. So of course Cyprian, when these Christians lapsed in their faith and maybe they justified why they made these sacrifices to Roman gods, whatever, Cyprian's like, I, I get we want you back, yeah. but not cheaply, exactly. not in a cheap way. Not in a way that compromises you or us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. If you found this or any episode helpful, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. Your reviews help put our podcast in front of more leaders just like you. And as always, if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us cover, let us know by sending us a message on social media. 
and may the peace of God be with you always.